Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hello and welcome to a brand new Arsblog Arscast right here on Arsblog.com. How are you? Hope you're well. The new season begins this weekend. Arsenal play their first game on Sunday against champions Manchester City. It could have been an easier start to the season for new boss Unai Emery. It could have been an easier start to the season for us as fans. But there you go. The fixture list throws up what it throws up and all you can do is play the game. So we're going to look ahead to that game. We're going to assess where we are, our readiness for the season. Uh, We're going to look back at the, the summer, the transfer window. And yesterday, the transfer window closed at 5pm and it's been weird. It's been a strange transfer window. I think not not from an Arsenal point of view really because one of the things that people I think were, were encouraged about was the fact that we did our business early in the season. It was quick-ish. It was efficient. We can talk about the the quality of the signings, but just in terms of getting the business done and not hanging around and not being scrambling for players right towards the end of the window, we didn't do that. Um, maybe there was some disappointment yesterday that we didn't sign anyone, but I really wasn't expecting us to bring anybody in. We needed a keeper. We got a keeper. We needed a right back. We got a right back. We needed a central defender. We got a central defender. We needed a central midfielder and we got two central midfielders. And that's to add to the two 50 million pound plus strikers that we got in the last 12 months. Like is that last summer, Obama Yang in January, we'd make Atarian brought in, you know, there's, there's good players in the squad anyway. So from our point of view, it was, I think, a pretty good transfer window in general, just talking about the way the business was done. The proof of what we did in the transfer market will be will be seen on the pitch over the course of this season. Whether the players are worth the money we paid for them, whether we got bargains, whether we overpaid, it all remains to be seen um, based on what Unai Emery can get out of the players and out of the team, what sort of a, a structure he builds, uh, how quickly he gets them working together and how quickly he can get the players doing what he wants them to do. I think that is, that is going to be key. Uh, the only piece of transfer business we were involved in on deadline day was the departure of Lucas Perez to West Ham for £4 million. I think that deal in particular is an illustration of the kind of business we did in the last few years under Arsene Wenger. Some of it was good. We brought some good players in, but he was told by the scouts, he was told by people uh, that Lucas Perez was a good player, but not really the kind of player Arsenal needed and not really at Arsenal's level. And we saw some good stuff from him. He, he scored some goals. He put in some decent performances, but Wenger... Being a pragmatist, if he thought a player was good enough and could get him goals and help him win games, he would play him. 
And Unai Emery appears to have reached the same conclusion as Arsene Wenger that Lucas Perez was not what this team needed and has let him go. So I think we have to, we have to, whatever you think of Arsene Wenger, you have to respect the judgment of two very experienced football managers in that regard. But what it represents for Arsenal is a loss of £13 million, £13.5 million, based on what we paid for him just two years ago. So it's not the greatest piece of transfer business we ever did. There are still players in this squad who need to go. David Ospina could go to Besiktas, but that that could happen till the end of August. Uh, Joel Campbell is back in the squad. And uh, he's a player who could who could easily go. Carl Jenkinson, you can still loan players to the uh, football league, so that might be an option for him. There are a few still who could make uh, make their way out of the club between now and the end of the window. But what we have, we hold at least until January, and then there might be some decisions to make on players like Aaron Ramsey, like Danny Welbeck, both of whom are in the last 12 months of their contract, one of whom Arsenal want to keep, one they don't seem that uh, bothered about offering a new contract to. So there are decisions that will come down the line in January. And of course, there was this strange business this week of, uh, of loaning out Callum Chambers. We're going to talk about all those things and address those things in a roundtable discussion with our guests in a few minutes' time. We've got Charles Watts from uh, Football London, Tim Stillman and JB, who you might know on Twitter as uh, at Gunner Punner. We're going to talk about all that stuff with them. But first, let's have a little uh, preseason chat with one of our great podcast friends. We're all looking forward to playing Manchester City on Sunday. Tayo Papula, are you looking forward to playing Man City on Sunday? <laughs> Speak for yourself, Andrew. <laughs> no, of course, no, I'm looking forward to it because it's the start of the football season. Of course I am. But um, I used to go into the start of the season, as I, as I think we all did. Um, you know, we were spoiled in that in that era where it was either us or them to win it each time um, I still kind of I used to go into the season thinking that we you know what it's a clean slate we can win the league but now it's just a kind of um, it's a now it's like can we hold <laughs> can we hold on and what a way to start as well you know how um I mean, that is the biggest uh, slap in the face the Premier League has given us because, like, we've all... Look, you stop believing in the tooth fairy and you stop believing in the fixtures computer. Yeah. Right? The fixtures computer, the, the fixture computer doesn't exist. It's not random. And what they do, what normally happens is Arsenal are supposed to play Burnley or Hull because, you know, you, you put... You don't want the top teams to meet at the start of the season. And that's what the fixture can... That, that, that is absolute Premier League banter in the extreme because they've decided that they want to keep the top teams apart so they've given Man City Arsenal oh that's your reading of it is it it's, oh, it's is only Arsenal <laughs> oh my goodness I remember when I was a kid I remember the the first game of the season I don't know if I got like community shields mixed up or whatever or charity shield as it was back then and I could be completely wrong about this but I always seem to remember we played Liverpool quite a lot near the start of seasons back in the back in the early 80s and stuff like that, where, you know, from my vantage point, you just look at the fixture list and it wasn't like you could follow the game. And that start of the season optimism you have of, yes, we can do it, we're the Arsenal, we can win, we can we can get the title this season. And then you pick up the paper or you watch Match of the Day and it's like, oh, <laughs> fuck. 
Oh, well, we've got Liverpool. Yeah. And then you look at the result the next day, it's like, ah, oh, God. We, we used to have um, we used to have Everton at the end of the season. Um, we've tradition over the last few years, we've had Liverpool quite early, haven't we? That's been a thing quite often. But yeah, giving us man's giving us the league champions and the outright favourites on the first day of the season it does uh, maybe I'm just uh, looking for pessimism anywhere at the moment but it does go and say that we are not contenders because you're not going to get a Manchester derby on the first day of the season are you you're not going to get um, you know you, you don't you don't the big teams are not supposed to play each other on day one so either it's an anomaly or we're not a big team anymore take it how you will right okay I'm not sure how to take that actually <laughs> to be <laughs> sorry, perfectly honest. <laughs> sorry, sorry to bring you down to my level at the start of the season I am excited because there's so many questions that we've got but at the same time you know given the given the recent uh, events you can't help approaching things with a little sure. bit of trepidation and a little bit of, yeah a little bit of pessimism but, yeah. yeah but I mean are you looking forward to that first day of the season thing where you come back and everybody's in good form and you know previous 22 years you, you always have that but it's been I won't say blanketed by Arsene Wenger but he, he was there for so long and then for the last few years it was like uh, you know, could it could it be a little bit different maybe next season and it wasn't and then yeah. now it is. So is that not like feeding into it for you? I mean, I I I certainly have concerns and worries about certain things, but just even sitting here now talking to you and I was reading stuff about uh, Darren Burgess, who's our head of high performance, talking about how Unai Emery is absolutely, one of the main things he's focusing on is making the defence better. And there's part of me that goes, fucking brilliant. I love to hear that. (laughs) Then there's another part of me that goes, fucking best of luck to you Unai because <laughs> that's yeah. that's a big job you've got on your hands but even I'm the sure. even the idea that he's he's I mean it's not something he could ignore obviously but the, the idea that this is something he's really focused on is is pleasing to me kind of regardless of how Sunday goes because the effects of his work I think are going to be seen over the coming months rather than in just one game at the start of the season no of course of course you're right it's um We've got so we've got something new. We've got something new. We've got questions that um, we've had all summer, and which are going to be answered. We've got questions from the last couple of years, which are going to be answered. We've got an excitable, an excite <clears throat> new coach, and of course, I mean. I kind of damped down my Arsenal expectations. Now talking to you, I can see the first game of the season and I'm actually getting excited to see what happens. You know, I even said uh, to my girlfriend this morning, she said, are we going to watch the game? You know, can we get a train back? Are we going to watch the game? I sort of went, no. Maybe, and I was just lying to myself. Of course, I'm going to be watching it. I'm away, so I can't. I won't be there for the first day of the season. But um, yeah, of course, it's going to be really exciting to see what happens with the defense, and we are going to talk about the defense, I'm sure, pretty soon. But there are players, you know, we we're coming back without too many um, different from major tournaments. Um, you know, blessing and a curse. We didn't have as much involvement as we've had over the, over the but it might mean that we'll get off to a flyer. So there's yeah. a lot of unanswered questions um it looks like ramsey hopefully is going to be fit i want to see what that kind of what that attacking trident can do 
yeah, it's a, it's the first day of the season. It's a new slate. Let's get you know. Let's let's save um, anything negative for <laughs> when it comes up naturally, rather than kind of put it on us in the first place. Yeah. So, mon- so. Monday morning, you're saying is that? <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. I mean, if you're going to test yourself, let's 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 hope they don't embarrass us. Um, no, but I mean, it's uh, part of it, isn't it? You know, it's gallows humor, and I think. Unless unless it goes terribly, terribly wrong, you know, whatever happens on on Sunday is only really the first step for Unai Emery, for new coaching staff, for, for a lot of new players, perhaps for a new system, for a new way of playing. Like, you know, the way you, you read sometimes about a golfer who, who feels like he's at the top of his game, but decides to change his swing. And it takes yeah. him like six months or a year to, to get back to where he was. It kind of feels like that's what we're doing. So... Whatever happens on Sunday, everything kind of has to be put in that context. Uh, uh, yeah, look, hundred percent. Like exactly, you've hit the nail on the head in terms of kind of gallows humour. We're always going to go and we're always going to do that. Um, I will note that um, we normally start off at the top of the league, but um, I did notice the other day that the Guardian. I'm not sure if everyone does this. The Guardian put AFC Bournemouth. So we're not even top of the league on the first day of the season anymore because nah. they're now for Beckel order. AFC Bournemouth comes before us. So we've had that taken away from us. But that aside, we have got a new team. We've got a new coaching staff, like you say. And um, I'm really interested in the new way of playing because, you know, it felt that football has been changing and perhaps that um, our former coach wasn't changing with it. So it's going to be exciting to see whether we can match up against the best team in the league. Um, and you're right, it's not It's not going to be, I'm sure there will be people damning things on the first, um, at, 4, 4, at 5.45 on the Sunday, but it will give us a better idea of where we are because it's the, you know, as a competitive game, friendlies can, we can have loads of fun with friendlies. We've seen that over the years, but to see where we are and it might as well be against the best team in the league as much as anyone else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, it, it's going to be a long season ahead and we'll uh, we'll obviously hope to see some of the young players at the, at the club develop as well. Uh, your boy, yeah. Alex Iwobi, given a, given a new deal, a show of faith in him from uh, Unai Emery, who it feels like he had an input into that decision more than the, the Callum Chambers one, for example, because uh, that one he ca- happened a couple of weeks after he joined the club. But Iwobi, 22 years of age, Nigerian international, Arsenal Academy boy, been at the club since he was nine years years of age and has, I think it would be fair to say, hit something of a, of a wall in terms of his development, but the potential is there. Myself and James were talking about it on Monday in the Arscast Extra. When I saw him in Dublin, it was like, holy shit, like he's he's big, he's bigger. I don't yeah. know what it is, but you can you can really see it. So, you know, I guess you're excited to see if, if Unai Emery can, can sort of bring him on, get him beyond where he is and, and help realise some of that potential. Yeah, I think that, Andrew. And um, I've been disappointed with him. You know, the ones <laughs> the ones that you love, that you're the, you're, you're the, you're the toughest on. <laughs> yeah. um, and he has stalled. And there is this confidence issue. I mean, he didn't have the greatest of World Cups with, 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 with Nigeria. And it does feel that maybe he does need a different voice because the message hasn't been going in. I was surprised... Um, to see, well, I wasn't surprised to see Jack Wilshire move on. We can talk about that all day, but I was surprised that that show of faith, that new contract, it feels like a real chance for him. You know what I mean? Um, and it does feel like he's going to try and, because we haven't gone crazy in the transfer market, of course, we'll talk about who we bought in a minute, but it does feel like the new coach wants to 
shape the players that were there. And if he can get a tune out of Rob Holding, if he can get a tune out of um, Alex Iwobi, then it's a long time since we've seen those young players improved at Arsenal. It's a a long time since we've seen that. And if Ainsley Maitland-Niles can come on this season, then... um, then we'll be getting our money's worth out of Unai Emery. So, yeah, I'm with you. Um, I'm really excited to see what... Because the potential of um, Alex Iwobi is 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 insane. But, you know, we've seen flashes of it. If you can get some confidence in that final third, we've talked about that before when I've been on your yeah, show. Yeah. Um, if we can get that confidence in the final third, if he can start believing himself, and if he can... if Then then we could have, you know, we could we, we could have a player... Uh, we could have a player on our hands, as they say. Yeah, absolutely. And some other young guys coming through as well. Eddie Nketiah and, and Reese Nelson, hopefully who will get minutes in the uh, in the Europa League and the cup competitions. Um, what, uh, just very quickly before we let you go, have you made of the, the Stan Kroenke thing, the Usmanov thing? Um, yeah. it's, well, it's, I, it's pretty momentous, but in the very short term, I don't think anything is going to change. It's maybe in the longer term where people have some concerns. I think that's probably... Um, Again, Gallo's homeostasis. I think that's what's really kind of put a down on things for me at the start of the season. Um, and I think you wrote, you know, you wrote a great article um, in the Guardian the other day about it, um, kind of summarising um, how I think a lot of us feel um, the lack of transparency. We've, you know, we've already had an indication of how they really feel about us. As you know, we are, well, thank you for our affairs and all. Thank you for interesting our affairs and all of that. <laughs> um, this guy doesn't have a track record of um, of supporting. The clubs that he that the supporting the clubs that he's um, that are under his ownership, and we've no given that there's had to be an a, a bit of transparency, and you know Arsenal have done the bare minimum with that transparency. Now that we can go behind this kind of veil, that that really worries me. You know that really worries me. It worries me about this massive loan being taken, all the things that you talked about already. So we won't yeah. go over those. I think that's what kind of leaves me a little bit depressed about football's been eating itself for a while. It's not that long ago that we could take that kind of moral high ground as Arsenal fans. And, you know, first of all, with our what we try to do with Project Youth and, you know, the whole Bank of England club and so forth, of course that's gone. But this is the real nail in the coffin of that. And it leaves a bitter taste in my mouth. Of course I support Arsenal, but I just... Football feels like it's eating itself and now we've just become part of that. And so I'm very disappointed in that. And you're right, in the short term, um, there won't be much change. But I do feel that we're not going to go to Newcastle levels, which we've seen, but um, of course not. But in terms of, and we can stamp our feet as much as we want, but he yeah. now does. He, he now has to do even less about it than he had to do about it before. <laughs> and that really does depress me. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I know what you mean. I know what you mean. It is, it, it felt inevitable. And the fact that there was nothing anybody could do about this inevitability is, um, I think, is part of why it's been so disheartening, particularly in the week before the start of the season, whether that was Usmanov, you know, sticking it to Stan or Stan sticking it to whoever he felt like sticking it to by by it all going down this week. I mean, they could have waited a couple of weeks, couldn't they? Um, yeah. We could have got things going, but anyway. But you know what? We've still got Mkhitaryan to see. Maybe we'll see Maybe we'll see the best of him this time. You know, we've got Meza, we've got 
um, Aubameyang, who um, I'm really excited to see this season. I'm really pleased about Lucas Torreira. Really pleased yep. about him. I don't know if we're going to put too much on him. We've done this before. We did this with Shaka, of course. Um, but there's some exciting things there. I'm a little bit worried about the defence. Mm-hmm. But... We'll have to trust, you know. We'll have to trust them. Basically, I'm a little bit worried about what we've got at the back, but they know more than we do. We, you know, we 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 play championship manager with our, you know, we look at the names and stuff. They're looking at them in training, so maybe they've seen something to be able to say that we're more complete yeah. than we as fans think. You know. Okay. Well, look, you know, yeah, I think that's fair. That's fair. We can have the concerns, but until we see how they perform, then those are just concerns. They're not realities or facts just yet. Um, but we'll find out soon enough whether they are. Hopefully they're not, and hopefully Unai Emery can really uh, build a defence that works and also build a, a team that might protect its defence as well, which will go some way to helping in that regard. But look, we got to let you go. Uh, we'll definitely catch up during the season. Uh, Tayo, thanks a million. As always, thanks, Andrew. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. With me now to discuss the uh, transfer window, the hopes for the new season as we get ready to face Manchester City and everything else that's happened this summer. I'm joined first by Charles Watts of Football London. Charles, hi. Hello, how are you getting on? We've got JB who's on Twitter at Gunner Punner. Hello to you. Hi, Andrew. How's it going? It's going well. And we've got Tim Stillman. Hi, Tim. Hello there. Uh, Charles, let me start with you. You were on the Arsenal beat today. Uh, a very quiet transfer deadline day. I don't think anybody had any realistic expectations of anyone coming in, but perhaps there was a sense that there might have been a bit more outward business. The only uh, the only deal that was done was Lucas Perez going to, to West Ham. It does leave us with some players who are very, very much on the fringes of the squad. It does indeed. I think uh, we've got to remember that obviously the European window stays open for longer and I think we'll probably see Ospina go, Joel Campbell possibly leave as well and and, and possibly even Danny Welbeck if the European team uh, comes in for him. Um, I think Welbeck could have gone today but all the offers from what I understand at Arsenal got a look what pretty much most of them were, were for loans and you know, he's out of contract at the, end of next, at the end of this season so it was nothing really that Arsenal were going to consider so it was decided that he was going to stay um, he was ready to go today. He was. It was all sort of 
if a decent offer came in. But it, like I said, it was only going to be a loan deal, and um, what, what would be the point in that for, for Arsenal accepting it? So it's decided he's going to stay. But there's talk. There's, there are a couple of Spanish clubs possibly looking at Danny, so he could go before the uh, before the end of August. But I think certainly you're looking at Ospina and Joel Campbell and uh, and people like that. They, I can't imagine they're going to be at the club at the end of the month. Tim, we, we also have some players who might go on loan. Carl Jenkinson, for example, could go on loan to to a championship club, which, uh, mm. you know, he, he did that last season and he struggled uh, at Birmingham City. Uh, he's somebody who could go. And a few young players, I guess, who aren't necessarily um, not ne- only on the fringes of the first team, but also mm. the under-23s, because there is this check-a-trade uh, uh, cup competition this season which allows young players to play against established professionals which I think they'll use as a, a development thing but were you surprised at, at, at the lack of outgoing business or or you know is this a, this is something that's been a problem for Arsenal not just under mm. Arsene Wenger we've seen it again this summer as well we're not a good selling club no, no, we're not. I mean, the fact that we couldn't get anyone to try and buy Danny Welbeck when um, I, know, I don't think he went in the end, but the sort of sums that were being touted for the likes of Danny Ings um, and players. And, you know, Jay Rodriguez in past summers has, has gone for quite good money. So I don't, I don't really understand why a 27 year old England forward. Um, you know, I'm not. I'm not saying that like the biggest clubs would be interested in him, but there's a lot of clubs in the middle of the in the middle of the league in England um, who've got money. Clubs like West Ham, like Everton, who spent a lot. I really, I really don't understand why we couldn't shift Danny Welbeck if that's what we wanted to do, and I don't really understand why it was all so last minute because I know he came back late, but Danny Welbeck doesn't negotiate the transfer; his mm. agents do. So. You know, surely they knew in June or July that they didn't want to extend and they were open for a sale. Um, and yeah, that, that, that's what, like, I'm not that surprised about Carl Jenkinson. He's a championship league one standard player on £50,000 a week. We're going to have him one way or another till the end of his contract. Yeah. But, and, you know, Espina and Joel Campbell, I think, will go eventually anyway. But Welbeck's the one I'm surprised about. I, I really would have thought there were quite a few Premier League clubs who, who would pay quite nicely for him, actually. And I don't really understand how we haven't been able to make that sort of deal happen. Yeah, JB, it, it does go against the efficiency with which we did our, our incoming business. And if you're not going to sell, if you're not going to give Danny Welbeck a new contract, it, it does feel like the only real option is is to sell him, particularly as there are young players coming through who might... Uh, make up that gap in the squad. We, we think about Reese Nelson, Eddie and Keddie as well, who could be a, a player. Um, I don't think it does us any real harm to keep him because he does add some depth and experience and a bit of quality, uh, you know, particularly at Europa League level, for example. But uh, it, we're leaving a bit of money on the table here. And we've already made a big loss on, on Lucas mm-hmm. Perez. Yeah, I mean, it's a shame to see Welbeck go in one sense because... I've always had a bit of a soft spot for him and, and he's put in some a few good performances. I think the injuries were always a bit of a shame and you probably see a bit of the Wilshire situation where there is, you know, it's it's widely known that he's a player that gets injured quite a lot and, and the injury he has is, is a chronic one and one that won't go away. So you probably do have a situation where despite the level he can play at, even if it's inconsistent, teams are risking shelling out £80,000, £100,000 a week for a player who might miss half the season. And that's probably had a bit of an impact on it. But I fully agree that, you know, when you look at 
Aubameyang and Lacazette, for the best will in the world, there's not much Welbeck offers over the two of those centrally. Um, and unless one of them or both of them get fairly long-term injuries, I can't imagine him playing or at least starting more than maybe five or six games in a season, at which point you, know, you're, you might as well, if you really rate Eddie and Ketia that highly, give him those five, six starts. So I kind of, I get the logic that the club's following. I also understand why it would have been hard to find a buyer. It might just be one of those where we end up sitting on him or, or getting a, a last season out of him because there's no point letting him go for free now. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a shame. I don't think it's the worst thing for Arsenal to have to, to keep him, to be honest. So I know, like we said, you got Lacazette and Aubameyang are certainly the first, first choice strikers, but behind that you've only really got Nketiah I know you mentioned Nelson but you don't really see him you see him as a 10 or a winger but in terms of an out and out forward I do think Arsenal would, if considering Perez has gone they do lack some in that area and mm. I think if you go into the season just with Lacazette and Aubameyang and Nketiah it's putting an awful lot of pressure on Nketiah to perform at a high level on a regular basis which I'm not too sure at this stage of his development would be a to, uh, it would be a wise idea so if, if there was no decent offer coming in which from my understanding there wasn't then I don't think I don't think Arsenal are in the worst position than having to keep Danny Welbeck I think he's shown mm. since he's been here how useful a squad player he can be and when he is fit and in, and confident he can be a decent player plus he provides you with an option out wide as well so um, I'm not I'm not too worried about the fact that we've, uh, we've, we've kept him for a season I think he's still got an awful lot to offer this year yeah, exactly. And it's not as if we really needed the money to go out and get somebody at the end of the window. You know, they, 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 they've spent money. I know we can talk about central defenders and, and all that kind of stuff, and we will do, but it wasn't like we were absolutely desperate to, to, to recoup money on Danny Welbeck. Whether we regret it next summer, it remains to be seen, but um, we'll have to wait and see. Maybe Stan, of course, uh, now that he's the 100% owner, will we'll dig deep and, and find transfer funds for us there. Charles, you were out in Singapore, and one of the common themes this season has been hard work. Um, I know Tim and uh, Andrew Allen and James were at a, uh, an event uh, at the club where they were given a bit of a tour of the training ground. And uh, again, the, the, the focus or, or one of the, the themes was how hard the, the team were working. I mean, you saw it firsthand out in Singapore. It is only preseason training, but was it, was it noticeable that these guys were being well and truly put through their paces by Unai Emery? It was very noticeable. Not not so much by Unai Emery, but by Juan Carlos Casido. He's there. He's, when you get up and up close and personal to him on the training ground, you certainly can see how much uh, how how much he's working the players. I mean, Emery is very hands-on as well when he's there. But Casido's the man who leads the sessions. And and uh, yeah, from watching from the touchlines, it is very very noticeable how just how hard Arsenal are working and just how much the focus is on is on pressing and high energy football and getting the ball back as quickly as possible. All the drills that you see that certainly that I saw them putting through that was the emphasis of all the drills and in the um, in the sort of match situations as well that you saw put on it was all about getting the ball back high up the pitch winning it back from the at the front or certainly from the midfield and uh, and then springing forward on the counter attack and he saw it in glimpses in the games as well I thought especially in the first half against PSG when I thought Arsenal were very good um, and yeah I think we're going to see a new look Arsenal this season in, in the way that they approach games um very much work in progress I can't I'm not expecting them to be fantastic at it straight away but I think as the season progresses the more work that's done at Colney I think you're going to see a very different Arsenal setup to the one that we've seen over the years under Wenger 
Yeah, JB, it is going to take some time, isn't it, for a new coach mm. to come in and, and imprint his style on the team and for them to properly understand what he wants from them. So how does it frame the beginning of the season for you or the first couple of months of the season for you? Obviously, we all want Arsenal to do well, to win games, to play well. But, you know, the, the start that he's been handed has been tricky enough. When you look at it, the champions on the opening mm-hmm. day and then two London derbies, uh, one of the London derbies away from home at Stamford Bridge, a difficult place to go. Uh, Chelsea have finished the transfer window strongly. Then we have the double uh, whammy of playing another London derby against two former players. We, we all have that dread of former players coming back uh, to haunt us. Lucas Paris and Jack Wilshere will be at West Ham this season. Uh, you know, how do you, what would you view as successful from, let's say, these opening three games? I'm, all, I'm always a bit cynical when people start talking about hard work and, and seeing the team run more. Um, I also think it kind of gives you a false expectation that things are going to change really quickly. You know, instilling a pressing attitude and changing the way the team plays is a lot more to do with coordination and, and cohesion. And that's not something that can necessarily be achieved in two months. So, Whilst it's good to see some early signs in pre-season of us playing differently, I wouldn't expect us to be you know, playing with a perfect press from from the first game. Um, it's probably more realistic, you know, if you if you look at what Liverpool did under Klopp, it took them a while to get the press working, and they actually ended up getting caught out quite a lot in its first season when the press went a bit wrong. So we might have to prepare ourselves for it to be kind of fairly inconsistent. Having said that. As tough as the start is, you could argue there's no better time to play those two teams. They're both teams that are, I mean, City are City. They're the best team in the country by quite a long way. But they've had a lot of players at the World Cup. And Chelsea have had a good, have finished the summer well. But um, I'd rather play them before Sarri gets them playing his his style of football. Mm. They're kind of on this transition between, you know, 11 men behind the ball and breaking quickly under Conte and you know, the super quick transition of, of Sari. So I'd, I'd rather play them early as well. doesn't mean it'll be easy, but I, I don't think it's as bad as it looks. You know, if we're going to lose the games, I'd rather lose them early whilst we're learning and then win later on in the season. And if we're going to play these guys, I think it's probably the best time to play them. Tim, do you feel like there's, there's going to be patience for, for Unai Emery to work with? Because on the one hand, there was such clamour for change and for something different and for a new coach and a new approach and for us to move in a different direction as a football club, you know, from top to bottom, on the pitch and off the pitch. All those things have happened over the last 12 months. But we know that football fans are emotional. We know that there is a desire for Arsenal to to win and perhaps in the back of people's minds an idea that if Wenger goes, everything becomes hunky-dory again. Um <coughs> I mean, what, what's your sense on, on that side of things? Because while we can always dismiss the extreme reactions of people on social media because they don't really represent uh, anything but those weird bastards who, who live at those extremes, and I'm sorry, but they are, you know, from one extreme to the other, whether you're hyper-negative or hyper-positive, that's weird. You know, that's a strange place yeah, to be. Yeah, yeah. I mean, do you feel that there's enough of us in the middle for for Unai Emery to work with and, and for uh, for us to deal with things not going quite as well as we would like from the start? I think in the first season, yes. I, th- I think really, um, maybe famous last words, 
we can't really do a lot worse than we did last season in terms of, you know, we really, really should be nailed on for that top six. Um, unless we have a like a proper Mourinho season, finish 10th. I don't think there'd be a lot of patience for that. Mm. Um, so I think even if we do pretty much the same thing and we're six and we're a fairly distant six, I mean, that'd be very disappointing. But I, I do think there was such a clamour for change and it was such, I, I think, an overwhelming majority that wanted that change. I do think people, other than, you know, on the darkest recesses of the internet, will generally be quite understanding and quite patient. I, you know, I'm not going to pretend that everyone's going to be kind of sitting there with their digital chalkboards going, oh, yes, it's because the press isn't working, yeah, yeah. you know, quite as well. I, I, I do just generally think that, you know, probably quite a lot of people will say, um, with varying levels of justification, uh, Arsenal left us in a bit, a bit of a mess, and it's going to take a little bit of a while to unpick. Um, I, I, I think that as well. Well, I think it will take a season and a couple of transfer windows. Um, but yeah, I, I do tend to think a there will be patience for Emery, and to be honest, B I think there's a little bit of maybe leftover um, chagrin for the end of. At the end of Wenger's reign, because it, you know, that was a real drift. Those lot, and particularly last season. So, I, th- I think it's a mixture of there will be patient people, and there will be people who probably still dislike Arsene Wenger enough to kind of lay at his door, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think in a way, in a way, I think you know, Emery's in a very good position, really, because I don't think it's going to be very hard for him to improve on last season. I mean, last season, mm. last season's away, away form was so embarrassingly poor. All he's got to do, and I know it's just the word all is quite a big one, but <laughs> is when four or five get more games away from home, which technically shouldn't be too difficult considering how dreadful Arsenal were last season. You sort of look at the games that they lost and the teams they lost to away from home last year. If you just sort that out a little bit and continue your home form, which Arsenal have always been a very strong team at home, and when you consider the fact he's got a genuine world-class striker at the club who... Mm. Uh, only played for half a season last year and you've got him from fully through pre-season this summer um, and you've added a very good well, he looks like a very good defensive midfielder I don't think it's going to be that hard for Arsenal to improve I'm not saying they're going to win the league far from it but I think you're going to, for me Man City and Liverpool I think will be top two yeah. and I don't see anything beyond that to be too worried about you know, I think Arsenal can, can comfortably challenge with the rest of their teams for it to get into that top four um, so I think in a way he's in a, he's in a pretty decent position. I think he will have, like I said, I think a lot of fans will be very patient with him as well. Certainly a lot more patient than they would have been if Arsene Wenger was still in charge. Charles, I'm just going to ask you one more question because I know you have to go. We have to let you go. But just uh, as I move on to to transfer business, it it feels a little bit to me like the the signings that we made this summer, and I I, I think everybody appreciates the fact that we made signings efficiently and we got them done early in the summer but it feels to me that perhaps bar Matteo Guendouzi who who tallies with the the kind of profile of player that that Emery was trying to bring in when it was uh, I think it was Yassine Adli from PSG a young French midfielder it feels like that was something that he wanted but these are signings that have been made by the executive committee Sven Mislintat Raul Sanyehi you know Leno was Mislintat's pick Socrates was clearly Mislintat's pick um, uh, Licksteiner I don't think Emery had anything to do with that maybe Lucas Torreira but again I doubt it I think this was a 
talent identified uh, beyond him. Um, and we have a situation where this this week they've let Callum Chambers go out on loan. Um, does does it feel a bit to you like perhaps for the next transfer window or the transfer window beyond that, that Emery might need to have a little more input into the players that we bring in? Possibly, but I don't think he will. I think this is the way of the world now at Arsenal. I think it's certainly going to be Mr. Lentat driving the transfer business. That's what he's been brought in for. Whether that changes when Gazidis packs his bags and heads off, we'll have to wait and see. But um, uh, I think uh, right now, Mr. Lentat is certainly the man who's going to be in charge of all the transfers. Um, and he's, he's had a big saying it this summer. Like you said, Socrates is certainly his. Leno was certainly his. Um, Gian Duzzi, I was, was absolutely his. Although, I, from what I understand, Unai Emery had a big role in actually getting that one over the line and convincing him to join um, and I, I like the transfer business that has been done, I, I'm, I'm not convinced by Socrates I have to admit, what I've seen over in Singapore and in pre-season so far I don't see him as much of an improvement on what Arsenal have already got but other than that, I like the business, I do think they're a little bit short I I, I sort of look, I worry about injuries at the back and up front and think they, the squad could end up looking pretty stretched with just a couple of injuries and maybe what people have been talking about as in a wide attacker would have been nice to get someone an out-and-out dribbler an out-and-out an out pacey wide man would have been nice but other than that I look at the business done I'm really excited by Giandu what I've seen from him he looks a hell of a talent the sort of player you want to see Mislin's hat bring in um, I like the Lich Diner deal as well I think he's going to prove to be a really decent addition and fingers crossed that Torreira is as good as we all hope he's going to be um, so on the whole, I look at the transfer business and I'm pretty happy with it. The, the Chambers one, I'm not. I, I was surprised, especially as they didn't bring anyone in to replace him in the squad. Um, but other than that, I, I think the business has been pretty decent. They've identified areas that need strengthening. They went out and done it, and they did it early. So on the whole, now the window's shut. I'm, I, I'm pretty happy, and I think Miss Lintat will be fairly pleased at the business that's been done especially considering Arsenal being on a fairly strict budget. Alright, Charles, we'll leave you uh, we'll leave you there, you've got to get some sleep before you go to Unai Emery's press conference tomorrow and people <laughs> people can follow your stuff on, on Football London. Thanks for joining us. Thank you very much Charles. have a good one. Alright, and we're, we're going to continue with the, uh, the transfer business. JB, are you happy with the business we've done this summer or are you left wanting a bit more or does it reflect perhaps the reality of where Arsenal are, that these these are the, the, the players that we've brought in? I was going to say both, and then you threw a third option in there. I think it's all three to an extent. It was kind of a solid but unspectacular window, and, and that partly reflected the fact that we didn't appear to have a lot of money to, to throw around. Um, and that's also a follow-on from what happened in January. You know, If you look at our, our transfer business as January plus summer, we've actually done quite a lot to the squad. Yeah. Uh, you know, we brought in two top attacking players in the summer, one of which is a world-class striker and the other is a very good secondary creator. Um, I guess the, one of the issues there is January was reactive. It was, oh shit, Alexis is going, what do we do? And summer felt like there were clear problems in the squad that had been identified and we decided to fix almost regardless of who came in. Um, you know, there was a gap. The defence was not great. Uh, we had goalkeeping problems last season. We didn't have a second choice right back for the six months. Um, and we clearly needed a defensive midfielder. And, and maybe Emery got involved with, with a couple of those. But 
it felt like those were things the club was always going to do and and you know we basically went out and just got them done which is good to see it just didn't look as cohesive as we might have been made to think um it then kind of went quiet we didn't do much going out which might have had an impact on further incomings and obviously the biggest thing for our summer is still up in the air which is what happens with Aaron Ramsey which sounds like it's going in the right direction hopefully but we still don't have any more clarity on. Yeah, well, with David Ornstein tweeting today that they're uh, the Arsenal are confident but not close, which is uh, at odds with some of the stories this week, which said that he is close to signing a new deal. So, look, well, yeah, I mean, they, they haven't announced the club captain with three days to go until the start of the season, and they took the squad picture yesterday and, and didn't share it despite sharing all the youth team ones. So you do, you do wonder if something's close or if. I don't know. It just feels a bit weird mm. that we'd go into the start of the season without announcing the captain unless there was a reason for it. Yeah, well, I think Koscielny will end up being the club captain. It's whether Ramsey is is handed the mm. captaincy uh, when we line up against Manchester City or who gets that armband. But we might come back to, to Ramsey. Uh, Tim, what's your sense of the business overall? Uh, you know, this director of football, football executive committee, head of recruitment, um system is in place at many football clubs where the coach really gets no say into who is being brought in. Uh, He might say, I want this kind of player or that kind of player. Um, Do you, I mean, look, it's, it's, it's commonplace, I know, but do you think that's the best way to do transfer business? Because it seems to me like this week, um, Unai Emery has looked at our defense and thought he needs something else. That was the rationale that I come to when it came to Callum Chambers going out. I still don't quite understand why we've loaned out Callum Chambers. Um, but, it, you know, my, um, go on. Yeah, my, my reading of the Chambers, I, you know, how much can you tell from an Instagram post? But I'm going to read the tea leaves from an Instagram post. Um, when Callum Chambers put up on his Instagram, you know, I decided this was the best thing to do. He, he was kind of, I, I thought that was quite deliberate because nowadays Premier League footballers generally don't just put stuff on social media. It's, it's um, you know, it's signed off before it goes anywhere. And it sounds to me a little bit like he was the driving force um, behind that one, uh, or at least he was quite open to it. And uh, if he's made the decision that if I go to Fulham, I'll play 40 games. If I stay here, I'll play 15 to 20. And he thinks that that's best. And Arsenal... You know, let's be honest, uh, in defence, we're a series of two and three star hotels. Yeah. Um, and I, I like Callum Chambers. I think he was he came on a bit at the end of last season. I don't, I, we've still got four centre-halves if you don't count Koscielny. So I don't think it massively hurts us numbers-wise. Um, and to be honest, as much, as much as I like Chambers, I, I don't think it enormously changes the level um, of our defence. Do you not worry um, that, like, uh, at least Chambers had a, a bit of experience? Mustafi has been error prone. We've got um, so- Socrates who's come in and is coming in with a, a blank slate, um, even if people have some re- reservations about him. Rob Holding. Yeah. But Mavropanos, you know, who looked good in one game last season or two games maybe at the end of the season, which didn't matter. He got sent off in one and he's 20 years of age. I mean, it just strikes me that if you're going to loan a player out in order to, to develop them, he seemed the most obvious candidate to, to go. I, 
I'd, I'd agree with that. Um, but like I said, I just get the impression that it was Chambers who who kind of pushed for this, and Arsenal kind of went. Yeah, does like does losing Callum Chambers change our fortunes this year? Maybe not. Um, maybe you know he'll be a better player if he goes away and plays for another year. I th- I think the other thing, certainly not the only thing, because I, I think what you've said is right. Really, you'd probably look at Mavropanos as as I think holding in Chambers are much of a muchness. To yeah. be honest, I think uh, at similar stages of their you know Chambers has got I think two years on holding, but I, I don't think there's a lot between them. Um, Mavropanos is the one who's a bit of a wild card. We don't really know much about, and there's a lot of projection because of that about how brilliant he is, and, and we don't really know that yet. It's the Granduzzi um, stuff with yeah, him as well, yeah, to exactly. an extent. But yeah, but with with, with Chambers, I I kind of tend. I think the other thing that makes it um, a bit confusing, I suppose, for people is the fact that he's signing a new contract, and mm. actually, that's um, it, that's maybe unusual. But you do see we've done it ourselves with Joel Campbell I think we did it with Cole Jenkinson for some reason players signing contracts and going out on loan on the same day what's strange here is there's been a a month's gap but I think one of the things that maybe we have to get used to um, and I don't think Arsenal were really doing things this way before is that signing a new contract is not necessarily a long-term declaration of faith it's as much about protecting the asset to use our Mm. phrase so if you look at the players we've signed up, Iwobi, Maitland, Niles, Chambers, you know, they've all got one thing very, very identifiable in common. They're young, they classify as homegrown. And basically, I, I don't think that Emery or Mislintat or whoever has definitely decided that all three of these players are the future of Arsenal. I think they've just decided, let's get them on a contract, let's have a look at them. And in two years, if we decide no dice, we can sell them for good money because... Unless you do something really stupid, like give Carl Jenkinson a 20-year contract on £50,000 a week, generally um, homegrown players don't really lose value at that mm. age. Mm-hmm. Um, I, yeah. So, I, so I, I kind of tend to think that maybe the, the contract for Chambers wasn't this massive display of faith that effectively he's still on trial. Yeah, maybe. I get Chambers wanting to to give himself first team football, and I, I understand that if there if a conversation has been had and he's you know not in first team plans, then yeah, maybe it does make sense to go to a team like Fulham. The flip side of that is if you are a centre back at Arsenal and the only thing standing between you and the first team is Mustafi, yeah, I kind of <laughs> I'd want our players to back themselves there. Yeah, no, I I, I agree with that, and I, I I love your optimism, Tim, about being able to sell these players at good prices because <laughs> that that's something that we we really haven't shown any great aptitude for but uh you know I I thought I just think the whole Chambers thing is really strange considering he signed a new contract last November then he signed a new contract in July Unai Emery says he's part of my plans you know so something changes within 4 weeks and if he's decided okay Callum Chambers isn't the guy he's not that much better than Mavropanos or or um or holding fine. I get it. I, I kind of think that four centre halves, even though we do have some players who could who could play in there if we need to add a push, you know, four centre halves when two of them are as raw as Holding and, and Mavropanos and the other two, they, Mustafi in particular, you know, makes my heart hurt. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, I take JB's point there, like back yourself to, to, to do better yeah, yeah. than him, you know, but I, I mean... I think I'll... Ultimately, my issue probably with Arsenal's business in defence is that 
um, instead of like signing Socrates for 20 million and then kind of vaguely scrabbling around at the end of the window for another 20 million centre half, you know, why not just buy a really, really good one for 35 million yeah. who really can hold like a fairly average backline together? Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, the only, I guess what I'd say there is defences aren't necessarily fixed in the transfer market. And I think given most of the team is the same personnel, we're going to have to look to see what, well, Emery's a manager who actually has quite a good defensive track record. Um, so I wouldn't be surprised if most of the changes we see, whether or not they're instant, that's another question, come from the training ground mm. and come from, you know, how we set up. Torreira himself is another little addition. You know, we, we've just seen teams in the past that you can buy whoever you want in defence, they'll get exposed and you have to be a ridiculously good defender to, to play in the Premier League with no protection. So, Whilst personnel is important, um, you know, how the team defends is arguably more important. Yeah, I mean, that's... We might see I, a different side to those players. I still think they'll get exposed, though, to be honest, because if Arsenal are going to go for this slightly high press, um, you know, when you watch Tottenham and Liverpool, it, it's a real... Like, they've got it to a fine art, but it's hard to get past their midfield. Once you do get past their midfield, both of those teams look exceptionally vulnerable, even Spurs. It's just yeah, very I mean, hard to get into the last third. And I, for a year I think and a half you're going to see Klopp. that for Arsenal. For a year and a half under Klopp, they were getting done by the long ball. Teams yeah. just just went straight over the, the over the press, won, won the first knockdown and went at them. And yeah, I think we're going to, we have to be aware of that. What we do have, what we have had in the past is obviously exceptionally good one-on-one defenders. Koscielny, yeah. at his best, was very quick. Bellerin is another really fast player. So we've, we've had a bit of, you know, we've almost lost that speed and defence to some extent, but I just don't know if it's something that will be solved purely through personnel. You know, is and one top centre-back going to fix our defence? Probably not. Yeah, no, probably not. But but it's also why Klopp has spent big money back there, because he knows, a bit a bit like Wenger used to know, I think, you know, Wenger, Wenger's best teams had either Tony Adams or Sol Campbell, like absolute elite defenders holding it together. Yeah. And I think, you know, Klopp, he knows he's not really defensively protecting his team, which is why he's prepared to spend loads of money on a goalkeeper and a defender and someone like Virgil van Dijk, because he's thinking, well, when they're called into action, they're going to be really exposed. So I need exceptional individuals and um, mm-hmm. Arsenal don't have that well i mean the other, at all. the other point to make is that i don't think well, we can... is an exceptional individual <laughs> just, just in the wrong way <laughs> the, I, I don't think we can at this moment in time attract that elite defender to the club no. you know that that's the that's the reality of our situation we're playing europa league football we're not going to be able to attract one of the top defenders in the world maybe we could buy a young defender who could who could become that who knows but that's that's where we are so when we talk about our defense and and how we're going to improve i think you know the point about organization about structure about protection from midfield about guys um knowing their jobs um it, it sounds cliched to say it, but trying to prevent danger before it even happens. You know, there's something mm. Wenger always spoken about. Uh, you know, how do you deal with somebody like Andy Carroll, for example? Well, we stop crosses. You know, it's being aware of how other teams are going to come and attack us and whether we can um, nullify their dangerous points before they get within striking distance of exceptional individuals like Mustafi uh, and what have <laughs> you. Um, JB... 
goalkeeper is a, an area which we've all wanted the club to go out and improve. We've spent £22.5 million pounds on Bernd Leno, 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 Leno. I'm going to have to make a decision on this one. But, um, you know, when, when we talk about our signings, we bought in a 26-year-old goalkeeper who's got... 300 games under his belt, loads of experience, still relatively young in the in the world of a goalkeeper. He can go on for a long time. We brought in a new goalkeeping coach, which I think is a very, very important development. Um, those things are really positive in terms of what this might mean for, for Leno and how he might develop as a goalkeeper. Do you see him being given the number one jersey from the start? And, and what do you make of the signing? I think it was clear last year that we, I mean, to start with, we needed a new goalkeeper. Um, I don't think Czech has been as bad a signing as people are now uh, labelling him with hindsight. He was, you know, his first season, he made a number of you know, match-winning or match-saving saves. Um, definitely felt like he was on a pretty steep decline last year, but I still think he was more inconsistent than just terrible. Um Ospina has been Ospina for <laughs> since we got him. Mm. And it's nice to know that we've now decided we want a goalkeeper who doesn't stand behind his line all game. I haven't seen a lot of Leno, but from what I've read, he kind of came on the scene early, impressed, and is a good goalkeeper, but, you know, inconsistent and has the odd error in him, which doesn't necessarily fill me with confidence as an Arsenal fan who's used to seeing that every season. Um, age profile I guess we bought a guy at the right age and you've seen with someone like Fabianski the goalkeepers do go on quite a steep development curve and you know in their mid to late 20s they do you do start to see the experience coming through so if that's something we can coach out of him that's great he also wasn't that expensive I mean it comes back to if you look at what Edison cost what Allison cost maybe you know that top top goalkeeper was beyond us it, I don't think it was a dumb signing. It's it's one of those that at 20 million, if we get it wrong, we can almost correct in a year or two. I'm not excited by it, but um, I get why we did it. I think that's kind of the theme of the summer, which was safe signings. If anything, I think I'm a bit disappointed at the age profile of the players we bought with the exception of Torreira and Guendouzi, I would have maybe liked to see a little, you know, maybe one or two of those data picks and really try and unearth a gem. Um, but I'd like to see Leno. I think Czech will start as number one just for a bit of consistency, but I wouldn't be surprised if it, it would be Leno by the end of the season as it's quite a clear number one. Tim, what, what do you reckon? I mean, my, my feeling is you don't spend that amount of money on a goalkeeper and and not have him as the number one Um before you give me your opinion on, on the player itself, I, I do wonder as well sometimes about the dynamics of this structure that we have in place. Because if everybody accepts that Sven Mislintat is the guy making the, the picks and he's the guy doing the recruitment, does it reflect on him poorly if we spend a club record fee on a goalkeeper and we then pick Petr Cech? You know, do, can those external pressures be um i guess inflicted upon the manager or the head coach maybe yeah maybe and i think um i think one of the thing is things is as well when we appointed miss lintat it wasn't i you know i know he has this diamond eye reputation i i don't think we were just buying his eye as it were i think we were buying his contacts book i think that was one of the things that attracted arsenal to him 
um, and a, a lot of the business he's got done, you know, we, we say it's been fairly easy to do. And we kind of say, yeah, the, these signings look fairly easy. But that, that's because Ms. Lintat's contacts are quite good. We're a, we're a club who struggled to get like the likes of Mark Schwarzer over the line. Um, you know, with a <laughs> Sanye that, too, as well. Yeah, 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 exactly, exactly. You know, with a club that got the runaround from Joel Campbell, um, I, I think I think his role his Rolodex is is a significant part of his his portfolio. Um, on Leno himself, I I don't really know because the amount of Bundesliga I watch every season is precisely zero. So I, I don't think I've ever seen him play. Uh, maybe a game or two for Germany, but I'd be really interested to know what was behind this signing. Is it because um, at the age of 26 they see something in him, um, or they see some talent in him, or they see something to work with, or is it because, like you said previously, and we're a Europa League team and at the moment you know, this is our second year in the competition we're in a position of weakness and we kind of have to mm. make do with you know, tier two players so I'd, I'd be really fascinated to know what, what the rationale really was behind this signing um, I'm completely open minded because I've never seen the guy play um, basically but one one of the things that has been striking, I guess, in pre-season is that Emery really wants to play out from the back and he looks pretty handy, to coin a phrase, looks pretty handy with the ball at his feet, which is not insignificant nowadays. So, yeah, I, I, I wonder, because a, a lot of um, the, the really good kind of data guys um, have been kind of writing about him and they don't seem to see anything in his numbers that suggests, you know, that the next Manuel Neuer is about to emerge. But... Um, yeah, I, so uh, like a lot of our signings, well, some of our signings, I think it's more straightforward because of the age profile. But uh, And I'm with you as well. I, I fully expect him to start on Sunday. He's 26. He's played something like 300 professional games. He's on the fringes of the Germany squad. He's not, you know, he's not wet behind the ears. This yeah. is um, an experienced goal. You know, he's young-ish for a goalkeeper, but he's got a really good level of experience. And they've paid... You know, is he the most expensive player we've bought this summer? Yeah, maybe no, Torreira was more. Torreira, I think, was around yeah, yeah, yeah. twenty six. But he's 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 in that kind of bracket, and mm. nobody doubts that Socrates and Torreira are starting um, as and when they're ready and when they're they're fit. Um, certainly in Torreira's case, so I I. I'd be very surprised not to see him start on Sunday. Um, I don't suppose it'll be a surprise to anyone. We've got a season preview going out on Arsblog uh, today where, Tim, you wrote part of it. There was myself, Andrew Allen, uh, James as well. And we all took uh, a look at the individual um, components of the team, goalkeeper, uh, defence, midfield and attack. Uh we all had concerns about our defence, and I think those will uh, play out one way or the other as the season goes on. But where people were a bit more confident was with midfield, um, having brought in Lucas Torreira, who, uh, you know, from what we see in the World Cup, has got some qualities that would prove very useful to this Arsenal side. Perhaps looks the right kind of foil for Granit Xhaka, uh, who was given a new contract as well. And I don't think that was because, you know, we're, we're going to loan him out or anything like that. Um, so midfield JB looks like we're we're addressing issues that have long been uh, a problem for us. It's about finding 
partnerships in there, but about finding balance between the skill sets of the players. And when you look at the personnel, there's Torreira, there's Xhaka, there's Aaron Ramsey, for now anyway. Uh, Ainsley Maitland-Niles is in there. Mohamed Elneny is a, you know, a solid, if unspectacular, but reliable option. Guendouzi is a guy who I think still has a long way to go. I think expectations might be a little bit high, but does have that perhaps potential to to grow into a player who could be really useful for us. So midfield looks better than it has. Yeah, I mean, it's where you win games, right? And it's exciting to see you know, it's a combination of your famous internal solutions with Maitland-Niles, with Guendouzi, with Terraro. You've got three different profiles of players there. You've got a ball carrier, you've got a straight passer, and you've got a pretty tenacious defensive midfielder who can also pass to give you a different, you know, a number of different combinations in there. And I think the most exciting thing for me there is actually, you know, we can get quite gloomy about our defence. At the other end of the pitch, we've got an incredible range of attacking players. Mm. And one of the biggest frustrations last season was our inability to consistently, A, get the ball up the pitch to, to good players in dangerous areas and B, kind of retain the ball and, and build pressure. Um, and you need a good midfield to do that. So, so fixing that not only should hopefully allow us to actually play where we want on the pitch and, and kind of stretch teams and test teams how we want, but from an individual perspective, it takes you know, it takes burden off Aubameyang. Hopefully he gets to kind of play on the last man a bit more. It takes a huge burden, burden off Ozil, who spent half of last season coming deep to help us build. And hopefully if you get Torreira in there, we'll protect the defence a bit more. So... I guess balance is the right word. I don't know what my ideal... I still can't work out exactly who I would start in there, but I think we actually have options now to the extent we can probably mix it up a bit depending on who we're playing, and that can only be a good thing. Uh, I think my starting three in there um, would be Xhaka, Torreira and, and Ramsey. Uh, I think Ozil is going to play as part of the front three with, with Mkhitaryan. Uh, and when you do add Aubameyang, when you add, like I said, um, we spoke earlier about Danny Welbeck, you know, uh, we, we do have a lot, Tim, at that end of the pitch uh, mm-hmm. that, that can create and that can score goals. And if we are going to uh, take some time to get organized defensively and to to work within these structures that Unai Emery wants. Having that kind of quality at the other end of the pitch really is going to be, I think, a blessing, probably a salvation at times as well. Mm-hmm. I don't mean to say that we're going to be like uh, one of those teams that has to score five goals to win a game, but it might be a case that in certain games, our firepower is going to be the thing that sees us through rather than our solidity at the back. Yeah, absolutely. I, I still think our attack's slightly unbalanced, but I don't think that that's a huge problem. And I think one of um, one of the really big things we've got going for us up there is all of those attackers are in their prime, uh, more or less. You know, Ozil, Aubameyang, Mkhitaryan are all, are all 29. Um, you know, even Welbeck's 27, Lacazette's, what, 25, 26? They're, they're all at a really good age. They all know what they're doing, um, basically. And I think that we can have a fair amount of fluidity um, up there. And um, one, one of the things I think is massively underplayed, I've, I've listened to and read any, any number of season previews by now by, you know, by sites and publications that deal with everyone in the Premier League. And one of the things that's hugely underplayed is Aubameyang. I think, I think in Aubameyang, mm. we can claim, alongside you know, Aguero and Harry Kane, we can claim to have the best striker in the Premier League. If he stays fit, 
which Arsenal fan would be surprised if he won the Golden Boot? And we haven't been able to say that since Van Persie left. And that, that is a huge upside. That is a huge upside. Even really average teams with great strikers can go far. Um, you know, Brendan Rodgers nearly won a league title because of basically because of Luis Suarez and, you know, to uh, and to a slightly lesser extent, a fit Daniel Sturridge and a young Raheem Sterling. You know, that was good enough to bring a pretty average Liverpool side overall um, to the title. I'm not I'm not saying that that's that's where we'll go, that we'll go towards the title. But in terms of getting into the top four, I think that could be hugely significant. And yeah. um, I've, I think I've slightly relaxed on, you know, the idea of, of, of Bamiang playing wide left and Lacazette up front in certain games. Um, I, I'm still not mad about it, but at the same time, I still think when you look at the amount of goals typically scored by the league champions, Arsenal are always a long way short of that in the last five or six years. So for most of our home games, to be honest, I'm I'm quite enthused by the idea of Ramsey at eight, Ozil at 10, Aubameyang left wing, Lacazette up front. Um, it's not hugely balanced, but I'm not I'm not convinced it has to be for, say, 80% of our home games. I think... Well, I mean, if you blown. get... Sorry, yeah, I, I was just going to say, I think that will blow most teams away. But I mean, if you get enough from it's one of those where it comes back to coaching right if you get enough from your from your left back uh, if you get enough width there then you can almost afford for whoever's nominally on the left to to actually end up playing like a two a lot of teams do it Salah played a lot of last season towards the end basically central um and that comes back to you know you probably need a bit more coaching for it and it's something we struggled with in the past maybe where you just give the team fluidity and they don't adjust in the right way um but yeah, I think, I mean, Andrew, I agree with you. I think that's what we'll start the season with. But I wouldn't look past Emery's willingness to play Lacazette and Aubameyang together mm. quite a lot in preseason. Yeah. Mm. I, yeah, it's fair. I mean, it's not as if Aubameyang can't contribute from that left-hand side. And maybe, like you say, I mean, he, does, he doesn't score his goals from outside the box. He ends up in the box, even if he's playing out wide left. It's just at times mm. when you see him chasing back and he's helping out the left back, you're thinking, well, that's not necessarily where I would want um, a, a world-class striker, but needs needs must. But I mean, I think it's interesting, isn't it, that we have this, uh, uh, what's the word? Uh, conundrum about how to deploy two really good strikers because I think Lacazette will score plenty of goals, uh, particularly in home games. Uh, I, I think he's going to be a very important player uh, against sides that might sit a little sit a little bit deeper against us. Uh, it's good to have those options. Um, so as as much as we might be concerned about some of the other aspects of the team and how he's going to put it all together, I think there are some real positives about this squad and what the potential they have is. Um, just quickly, finally, for both of you, JB, I mean, are you are you re- excited about the, the start of this new season? Does the quality of the opposition that we're playing um, to begin with, does it sort of give take a little bit of the shine off it or or is that just part of part of the grand uh, theatre of the Premier League I mean look it's all a bit new um, and I think it's very exciting because we don't know what to expect um, I don't think anyone expects us to beat City and it's all just getting behind the new manager and seeing seeing what this team could come up with so yeah, it's, it's not that new a team in terms of playing staff but there's a lot to look forward to and 
it's going to develop, right? Like, I, I think there was a feeling the last few seasons that if we started badly, there wasn't much more to expect. We knew what was coming. Whereas there is this evolution that everyone's expecting to see, and we all know it might not be from game one. So that, you know, whether or not we have that patience, there is, there's something to buy into. And I think the fans feel a lot more, I don't want to say united because it's a horrible word, but a lot more together and, and, there's just this collective excitement to see what could happen now and it's a new chapter for the club. I don't know how long that will last and I'm sure when we concede two in the last 10 minutes against Watford, <laughs> that will all go away quite quickly. But yeah, I'm excited. Um, and I actually like the group of players. Just, I guess the last thing on, on Aubameyang was, I think we understated or underrated how much he bring aside from his actual football. I think his attitude and mentality both as a winner and, and the way he appears to contribute in the dressing room as quite a cheery guy and a mentor to the younger players shouldn't be overlooked either. So I'm, I'm just quite excited for this group of players and to see what we can do under Emery. Do you, do you think a top four finish is realistic? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I agree with, I can't remember whether it was yourself or Tim who said that City and Liverpool are the teams that are really kicking on. Everyone else has had pretty average summers um, United are in Mourinho meltdown third season and Tottenham have done nothing um, so let's see I think I think we should be aiming for it I don't see why not um, and then we can use the Europa League as something that just make sure we get through the group and if we're struggling in the league or whatever then mm. let's do everything we can to win that and get back in the Champions League that way Tim, uh, you know, the away form last season was so so unbelievably bad that I think it took <clears> the the focus a little bit off how good the home form was. I think only Manchester City had a better record at home than we did. So there's something to build on there from the home form point of view and for, you know, not not necessarily the, the Emirates as a fortress, but certainly the players uh, would feel confident at home. Um, and if we can improve the away form, even by, I don't know, 50% or 60%, yeah. you know, there's, there's the potential for us to finish quite high up the table um you know the other teams taking into account everything that they've done and uh, the, the the quality that they have i'm not saying it's easy but you can see um how we could make that improvement based on what we did last season and what unai emery might be able to get out of them i mean do you do you do you feel like top four should be the target or definitely is the mm. target yeah, absolutely. I, I think fourth will be pretty close between Arsenal, Chelsea and Spurs. I think um, United might end up on a little island on their own in third. Um, and between Arsenal, Chelsea and Spurs, honestly, I think it will come down to something like, I don't know, injuries or luck or whatever. Mm. I, I really think that those three teams might be quite close together. Um, if Tottenham get a couple of big injuries, um, I could see them struggling. I think Chelsea might have some teething problems um, with with a new manager, and for us, I I definitely I definitely see us being better than last season. And like you said, I think really we should be aiming realistically for some marginal gains. And the away form is is the easiest one to identify. Just don't be terrible. Just be at like last season. <laughs> I think we were fifteenth or sixteenth in the away table. Push that up to tenth, which is still not great. And we'd have, we'd have been right in the top four conversation last year. So I, I think that that will be quite tight. And I think that might become apparent quite early in the season. I, I think these patterns are going to be set quite early. Um, and I think it will be, you know, before Christmas, we'll see, 
you know, Man City and Liverpool kind of duking it out, United a little bit behind them, and then the three kind of London clubs duking it out for that fourth. Um, I'm, I'm not sure if we'll get it because I think it might come down. I, might, I think it might even go to the last day and it might be something very marginal um, and there'll only be a couple of points in it. But yeah, absolutely. I, th- I think that's a realistic aim. I don't think as much as there are misgivings, um, there are misgivings about some of the squads around us as well. And, and I don't think we've got anything to feel massively inferior about there. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree with you. I think, uh, you know, it's okay to be slightly concerned about some aspects of our team, but also be excited and enthused about uh, the other side of it, the potential that we have from an attacking point of view, the new coach, and and just the the reinvigoration that that will give some of the players who've been at this club for for a long time, doing the same thing season after season after season under Arsene Wenger. Uh, you know, I think they're going to respond really well to that. Ian Wright said on the, the podcast on Monday, he'd been speaking to Steve Bold and the players are really buying into what Unai Emery is going to do. Some yeah. of them some of them will fall by the wayside. Some of them won't like having to do the hard work and some of them won't like uh, having to watch videos and all that kind of stuff. But those that do... Uh, you know, and really try and improve could could help push us on this uh, this season. Anyway, look, lots going on in the background there, so I'm going to let you guys go. JB, thanks a million. Thanks, Andrew. And uh, Tim, thanks a million. We'll we'll catch up soon. Cheers, my pleasure as always. Thanks to the guys for their time and for looking ahead to a brand new season. And that's what it is, folks. It is a brand new season. And even though I'm a bit trepidatious about facing Manchester City because they are so good and we haven't had as much time as we might like to prepare under a new manager for him to to uh, to work with the players and get his methods across, I'm excited. I am excited. I'm enthused. And if you can't be excited and enthused and optimistic at the start of a brand new season, then when can you be? When can you be? You know, we, we, we discuss things and sometimes I think it's easy to... Not to go down the rabbit hole of worst case scenario, if we think, oh, what if the goalkeeper isn't going to be good? What if Mustafi is Mustafi? And what if Socrates is not the player we need? And, you know, I I get it. I do understand it. But maybe we have to look at it from the other point of view as well, or at least consider the possibility that things might go better than we think, rather than worse than we think. And look... Whatever happens against City on on Sunday, uh, I hope we do ourselves justice. I hope we give a good account of ourselves. Obviously, I hope we can take something from the game. If we do, it'll be hugely positive. It'll give us a, a nice little kick into the new season. If it doesn't, we have to put it in perspective. We have to remember that it is a game against the best team in England, and we are not maybe as ready as we are going to be in six months' time to face them. So, you know, I think we have to we have to consider that and not lose the run of ourselves. You know, that works the other side as well. If we win, it doesn't mean that we're uh, immediately going to be champions or anything like that. Just step back and let's try and put everything within the context of a new season, a new era, a new coach, new players, new methods, and maybe 
some new patience and understanding from from us as fans uh, because I think we're we're going to need it. Um, we did a competition last week uh, to give you uh, a chance to win a copy of a book, uh, Almost Invincible, the Arsenal class of, of 91, written by Dan Betts. Dan was on the podcast with us. Uh, the question I asked you, who was our leading scorer in that season? The answer was Alan Smith. Alan Smith was the answer. So congratulations to Samir Kuestani. I think that's how you say it, Samir. Apologies if it's not, but well done to you. You've won the book. I'll be in touch with you and uh, we'll get that book sent out to you. Uh, As for the rest, well, I think we should leave it there. There's been plenty of listening. There's more talking to do on Monday. James and I will be here with an Arsecast Extra on Monday, looking back at that opening day of the season. I'm going to keep everything crossed for this game. Fingers, toes, whatever else uh, that's crossed. Uh, Whatever artifacts of good luck I can bring out, I'm going to get those. We might need it, but you never know. Football is a funny game, and we could be sitting there on Monday morning discussing uh, a really great win. Who knows? Who knows? And I haven't even had any beer yet, so uh, that'll tell you. But anyway, look, thanks as ever for listening. We'll catch you on Monday with the Arsecast Extra. Let's enjoy the weekend and hope that the Premier League comes back with a bang in our favour. Until the next one, cheers. Bye-bye. Hi, I'm Stan Cranky. I'm the soon-to-be 100% owner of Arsenal Football Club. This is happening because I bought the shares off that Russian guy, the one who said he was an Arsenal fan and that he was never, ever going to sell his shares. But he did. Now, I know this has caused some disquiet among the Arsenal faithful, But I would like to tell every single one of our loyal customers we want only the best for this fantastic, historic, great football franchise opportunity. So I'd like to lay out here and now in great detail our ambition and how we're going to make it happen. Hopefully that clears everything up. And if it doesn't, well, I don't care. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 